Well, shalom leads us in to how Jesus could have peace within his inner being in the midst of all storms. So turn again to Mark chapter 4, or tap again to Mark chapter 4, if you're able, and we'll enter into this story. Do you remember the bumper sticker that said, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, but it was spelled differently, N-O, no Jesus, N-O, peace, no peace, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, K-N-O-W. It was just me. It still makes me smile. You can't tell, but it does. It's very punny. I suppose that could be the title of these two messages. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Jesus knew peace in the midst of a storm, whereas the disciples had no peace because they did not know Jesus by their own admission. So let's dive back into this fairly infamous passage that we began considering last Sunday, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to the end of the chapter, 41. On that same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a mega windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they finally woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was mega calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with mega fear and said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. As mentioned, this powerful account is not only recorded by Mark, but Matthew and Luke as well. But Mark is the only one to quote Jesus speaking to the sea, speaking these three words, peace, be still. I believe that's significant, hence these two messages, as we press into this concept. Last week, we entered the boat, so to speak, with Jesus and his disciples, and I think for most of us, all too easily, it often doesn't take much of a storm to unsettle us in life. The plans that we have made that seemed seemed good to us. Maybe not all that well thought through. Maybe just because everyone else seemed to be doing the same and it seemed good or safe. And yet the unexpected comes up, which should have, been, should have been expected all along, but the winds and the waves that come with life. And we realize our plans were not well thought through. Or in fact, putting us in danger. And we begin to panic, become frantic. We recognize how exposed and drifting we truly were. We were all along, but... It only took the storm to reveal it. And in our best efforts and with all of our strength we can muster, we try to bail to save ourselves, to get to the other side. So yes, we're right there with the disciples. At least the disciples went to Jesus and cried out to him. They did believe he could help and save them, though they did not yet believe that he was their Lord and their God. They hid nothing from him, no pretense, no pretending. 
Can we claim as much? When we too try in our own strength to do everything we can and maybe out of desperation call out to God for help. When we do, do we clean up our prayers, so to speak, try to be more eloquent with them? Do we, as if we could hide our true emotions in the depth of our fear? The disciples don't hide anything, though it's a low moment for them revealing their little faith, that they would even choose to rebuke Jesus as if, as if he did not care for them. Remember that one of the most powerful prayers in the Gospel of Mark will come in Mark chapter 9, a prayer that I think we can easily pray, pray, the prayer of a desperate father. When Jesus says, if I can, to his request, and he says, yes, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. The prayer that these disciples essentially were praying with their full emotion. We believe Jesus Help us with our unbelief. We do not yet fully believe. They needed their faith to grow. So that's where we left off last week, with conviction that leads to prayer, and may these prayers continue. This morning, I promised some practices, because as it's right to begin with prayer, to commune with God, we are also to walk with Him. How can we know peace, true peace, in the midst of the storms that come in life? This is what Jesus offers us. Once again, we thank God for the tangible metaphor of the winds and the rains today. And so not, we could not call them mega by any means, but we do receive them and are hopefully smiling at least a little bit. Three practices, eyes, hands, and feet, if that helps you to remember because almost no one is taking notes today except for the bravest amongst us as our hands are tucked deeply inside. And I hope you have hand warmers. That's why... My hands are in my pockets. Eyes, hands, and feet. Practice number one. Where do we fix our eyes? What is our focus? Like so many things in our spiritual lives, our spiritual pursuits and discipline, when we focus on the thing, we rarely seem to attain it, do we? And in this case, if you're finding a hard time, finding it hard to find that shalom, that Mark mentioned, that sense of peace in the midst of the uncertainty, the pain, what you might be wrestling with that brings fear or anxiety. As some of you battle pain yourself or illness, loss and grief, and finding that sense of shalom, you can't possibly imagine sleeping in the midst of it, having a deep rest and contentedness. Is it possible that when we fix our eyes on the thing that we want, as if we could coax ourselves into having more peace. Be at peace. Be at peace. It seems so fleeting, doesn't it? When we're in a constant state of fight or flight, there must be another way to knowing peace like Jesus. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And if you know where that's come off the heels from, all of Hebrews chapter 11 is basically describing the worst storms that can befall people, and yet the faith that triumphed over those. If we fix our eyes on the giver of peace and not on attaining peace, then we might come to know it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is our only hope. When I read the story 
I see Jesus looking right at the disciples when he said those words. Not out to the sea, but right at them. Peace. Be still. Because they were frantic and fearful. The word translated peace is not the typical word, irene, that shows up so often in the New Testament in the Greek, but rather the word siapao. Siapao has a almost a deeper sense of peace, a more tangible feel. It means quietness, settledness, contentedness, or even silence. And this is what Jesus speaks to the storm, and I also believe speaks to them. Have you ever been around a young child who is raging or frantic and is ultimately out of control and might be a danger to themselves or to others? Hush, child, peace. Be still. Shh. It's that kind of peace that Jesus is speaking. Jesus is the source of this peace. We must fix our eyes on him, the giver. From him alone comes this kind of quietness and contentedness. Even if there's every earthly and natural reason to be afraid, to be frantic, in Jesus and from him is, this, is the only true peace. And we must know him that we might know peace. That's what was revealed that we looked at last week. The disciples' greater fear came after the storm was calmed, as they realized that they were encountering something that was beyond even their understanding in Jesus. See, they had assumed they knew him. They had come up with a category for him and believed they had him fairly well figured out, but truly they did not. Now, the one who has never been shocked by 110 volts could be quite flippant or casual with that electricity. May we, not, we, may we come to a place of knowledge and wisdom where we're no longer shocked by Jesus, but continually amazed at his nature and character and power. May when we say things like, who is this? We are in awe and amazement, not in fear of misunderstanding or preconceiving him. Jesus would say to his disciples with some of his final words, this is recorded in, chap in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. It's my peace that I will give to you. And not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That statement follows right on Jesus saying, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This leads into practice number two. If practice number one is fixing our eyes on the giver of peace and not on attaining peace itself or trying to grasp it, practice number two is with our hands receiving peace. Receiving it. By the statements of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, I would argue that we do not even need to pray for peace. Not at all that that would be a wrong prayer or a bad prayer. God, bring peace, please. We bring all of our desperation to him. But the promise is very plain right here. My peace I give to you. It's my peace I am leaving with you as my followers. We're not often instructed to seek or pursue or receive. In fact, maybe never in Scripture to find peace, to grab it, to be at peace. We're told to practice many different things and pursue ultimately God and receive the peace that has already been promised. 
Perhaps the problem isn't that we're failing to ask, but that we're failing to receive the peace that he wants to give and has promised. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. How does the world give? How do we tend to give? What are worldly ways? Out of obligation? Sometimes. Out of reciprocation or some form of cultural or societal norms and traditions? Maybe some form of pressure? Perhaps begrudgingly or reservedly? Perhaps sometimes even with strings attached for what might be reciprocated to us? Jesus says, not at all in the ways of the world do I give. He gives willingly, generously, joyously, without hesitation or discrimination, without demanding anything in return. This is what he teaches clearly about the character of God, the Father who loves to give to his children without restriction, without hesitation. And if we know how to give to our children good things, how much more does God our Father give to us? Receiving peace is less like opening up a present than it is like opening up the door to our home and welcoming in a close friend. We must cultivate a relationship with peace. If the Holy Spirit is the person that will bring to our remembrance and bring in the peace of God to dwell with us, then we must come to know him who is with us. And the fruit of the Spirit, what will be revealed is peace amongst other things. But that's the testimony and the statement in our lives that we are beginning to receive the dwelling of the Spirit that Jesus has promised for us. We must open that door through faith, of course. But we can also begin to thank God for the fulfillment of his promises. I think we fail to do this. I think we only thank God in response to what we are sensing he has done, what we experience Instead of upon the faith of the promise. God, thank you for the peace that you have given. Even when we sense none of it. Because he has promised it. God, thank you that you have given your peace to us. We are meant to be people who walk in and live in this kind of thankfulness. God's word reminds us again and again of his desire that we would know this peace. A little later in John in chapter 16 Jesus says, I've said all of these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have storms. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Has he not proven that? Not only that day on the, on the boat with the disciples to calm the wind and the waves, but he's about to prove it by triumphing over death and evil itself. To emphasize this statement before his crucifixion and resurrection, that in him can be found peace, that he has overcome the world. When he rises from the dead and on various occasions reveals himself to his disciples, he says a repeated phrase to them each time. Three different times John records it in John chapter 20. Peace be with you. It's not just a form of greeting. He's making very clear of what he has done and what he has given to them by his life and by his words. Certainly we should take notice things that are repeated in Scripture. Not only things that are repeated, but last words. So in the case of John's gospel, as he's wrapping things up, as he's summarizing, as he's showing us these final things. Take note of what's repeated. Take note of what's last. And at the center of that is peace that Jesus is giving them, reminding of them 
is theirs in him. Peace be with you. Because he's about to go, right? He's about to withdraw. We see the disciples' faith grow, and more and more, as they are with Jesus, they are okay. But as he withdraws or is taken from them, they're frantic. They're unsettled. They're uncertain. They need to now learn how to walk with the Spirit of God who is with them in the peace that he has promised, as if he himself was still there. Peace be with you. It is a promise. We must receive it. Is there a part that we play? If receiving a gift is simply with gratitude or learning how to see it as it is and not something that has strings attached or that we must earn or that demands something more of us but can be received and lived in, that leads to practice number three. With eyes fixed on Jesus, with hands open to receive, we can cultivate a life of peace by walking. That's where the feet come in, by walking with Jesus. The disciples had learned tangibly to walk with him everywhere they went. Walking with Jesus has become a theme for many of us this year as we recognize a long road ahead in some small, tangible way to become a walking people. We know, it's a, we know it's a metaphor. There's faith to it. There's daily walking. The scriptures use this image and metaphor repeatedly. Zechariah prophesied that Jesus would lead us in this way, in this path. We have a journey. We have a path. We walk in spiritual ways. Zechariah promised, prophesied in Luke chapter 179 about Jesus before he was born. He will come and give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a way of peace. There's a way of walking in faith and in life with Jesus. And the disciples would come to know it. They had to. They had to walk with him. And I think it's what formed their discipleship maybe more than anything else. So not only is it a good exercise, not only is it good for exercise, but not only is it good for exercise of centering, of slowing down, of carving out space to ponder, to pray, to be moving. And I found, as I've done this every day now, 87 days into this year, almost a quarter in, that in, the, in carving out that time, I feel like God is giving back so much. He's giving back to me perspective. He's giving back to me even the time. Other things and regular tasks for me are taking less time, and I'm noticing. And I, I find that special and unique I don't find that prescriptive as it will happen to you, but I do invite you to join in. I find that the discipline of saying, when I have no time and have too much to do, to do the opposite in the way of Jesus and to slow down, to carve out space, to pray more, is actually the way to overcome. And he proves it with his life, both in faith and spirituality and in actual practice. So let's be a walking people, if we are able. I invite you to join in with my journey as I post a vlog every day. And I pray for the capacity and ability to do that for the rest of the year. I don't know if I'll have it. But to this point, it's one of the highlights of my day to be able to carve out that space to slow down, to know I have moments to pray, to ponder, and to process, to read from the scriptures and the story of God and simply ponder and pray on where we might enter into it. That's all it is. It's an exercise you can do. You don't have to watch my vlogs on YouTube to follow along, but you are welcome if you would like that encouragement. And it's nice knowing I'm not alone, so thank you for the four of you that are doing it. It's awesome. 
I feel you. I feel that you are with me. By the way, I say that I'm doing it more for my accountability and as a gift to offer potentially the next generation, specifically my kids. Some of you know that I, I used to be a journaler. I still am, just not to the same degree. I, I journaled every day of my, my high school life. And, and, and it's in a box on a shelf, and I don't know if it'll ever be seen, and that's fine. Maybe this will be offered as a, a testimony of faithfulness and a desire to give to the next generation. Let's be a walking people with Jesus. I believe he forms us in that way as we practice these daily exercises. We do make it spiritual. We do try to walk with him in tangible ways that can open up the spiritual expressions. He's invited us to do this. Jesus invites us to extend his kingdom, to see it expanded, to take it into new places. And even though most of our walks are probably just going around the block, it's the expression of movement. It's the expression of stepping in faith. It's the expression of opening our eyes to see what might be around us in his kingdom realm and responding to the opportunities given throughout the day, not specifically in that moment of walking, but throughout the day that we cultivate that posture of faith and we walk with him. Peace is just one of the results as we fix our eyes not on the peace that comes, but as we start to receive it and recognize it, a quietness, a solitude, a listening, an openness. The Apostle Paul spoke of peace perhaps, well, more than any other New Testament writer, more than the gospel writers himself. It's as if he picked up on this concept of these final words to the disciples of which he became one and lived with a peace that was striking because his life was anything but storm-free. He faced incredible persecution, and yet he lived with a sense of peace and contentedness that was otherworldly. This could be its own sermon, but I think it's a good passage to leave with us as we look for places to meditate on God's word and to walk with him. And I find it striking as an illustration, perhaps in, in Paul's most well-known passage about peace, he's not telling us at all to pursue peace or to practice it but to practice totally other things. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and following, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, bring your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the gift of peace coming for other practices, for, as a response to other practices. And he continues in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, meditate on these things, what you have learned and received and heard in me, the peace that I've found, the contentedness I've found in the midst of persecution, pain, and suffering. If you've seen that in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There are a number of spiritual disciplines there, not meant to be an exhaustive list by any means. In fact, we could spend our entire life trying to pursue and cultivate those practices, and it would be a great pursuit 
and more and more, we probably never feel that we've truly attained it. We'd get stuck right at the first one, wouldn't we? Rejoice always. In case you missed it, I'll say it again. Rejoice. It kind of parallels that passage in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. Have you figured that one out yet? The best that I've achieved is learning that God always works and redeems in hard times. So if I'm in a hard time now, I can receive that because he's growing me. But to be at a place where I could honestly say I've received it as joy that he's doing that work now, I have room to grow. So it seems to parallel Paul's invitation to rejoice always in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the hardship. I'll say it again, rejoice. We could spend our entire life probably meditating and pursuing that effort, that practice, that spiritual discipline. And when we face circumstances that enhance our anxiety, pray with thanksgiving. Bring all your requests to God to meditate daily on what we know is true, what we know will bring honor to God and to others, on justice, on holiness, on beauty, and on excellence. These are the spiritual discipline practices that lead to a life of peace. Did you notice in there Paul uses two different phrases? He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, you won't even really be able to articulate it, which gave me pause of writing a whole sermon and coming to this point. Can I even articulate it when, when God's word itself says it's beyond comprehension? It's that kind of peace that he promises to us. That kind of peace will be yours. It will guard you. It'll protect every step and every moment, every thought. And then he finishes by saying, the God of peace will be with you. God himself will be with you. He has not left you. His desire is that you would know him and therefore know peace. And there's nothing you need to do to earn it, to measure up, to deserve it. It has been done. It has been given. My peace I give to you. May we receive it with eyes fixed on him, with hands open, praying that that's a posture of our heart being reflected. And with feet that we would say we want them to be ready to walk in his ways daily. Let's respond to his word today. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Jesus, you, you are the word. You are the reason. You are the one who has come to show us what life dependent on the Holy Spirit looks like in the midst of storms, in the midst of pain and suffering, of being rejected, denied, and insulted. As we will reflect again this week, we pray that's always on our minds, but as we walk through Easter week, we reflect again at what you took and received on our behalf because of love. And you did not retaliate. You let your life and your death defeat all enemies that we too might overcome the world. That's your promise to us. To take heart, you've overcome Lord, help us to overcome, to be people of triumph, to be people of peace, to know the peace of God because we know the God of peace. Help us, Lord. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. May we daily walk with you this week that we might grow, that we might celebrate, that we might remember, and that we might hope. 
unto your glory for our joy. Amen.